Hi, this is Bill Cates, and welcome to your June edition of Voices of Experience. First up is Jill Conrath, author of Selling the Big Companies and Snap Selling. Over the past four editions of VOE, Jill has been giving us insight and tools to help us sell our services to big companies. Here's Jill's fifth of six segments. Back with us again for VOE is Jill Conrath, the expert in helping us sell to big companies. In fact, one of her books is titled Selling the Big Companies, and her newest book is called Snap Selling. One of the things we struggle with is how to reach these people. Do we, do we send them an email? Do we leave a voicemail? How many voicemails do we leave? Do we just wait till they answer the phone? Do we throw rocks at their window? How do we reach these people? <laughs> That's a really good question. And, and let me just say that you need to use multiple mediums to reach these people because they are unreachable by just one medium. A lot of people say email or voicemail, which, which, which is the best. And many speakers don't like to leave a voicemail message. They think, well, I'll just try to reach them. And the truth is they may never reach them. And so they need to start thinking about how to leave messaging that will entice the person and position themselves appropriately. But the truth is, is you need to use both because you don't know how the other person on the other end of the line is responding. That being said, there's a clear difference between those speakers who are getting through to these people versus those who aren't. And I'd like to start out, if I may, by sharing a typical message that most speakers will use, and I'll use it with my background so that I can show you how different it is. But I see most people who are out there trying to sell their stuff aren't comfortable selling, and so they're trying to be real gracious, and they leave a message that sounds like this. Hi, Bill. This is Jill Conrath calling. I'm with XYZ Productions. We specialize in offering a full range of training programs for all your salespeople's needs. And the reason I'm calling is that I'd love to set up a time to get together with you to find out how you're currently handling your needs in this area and to share with you what we're doing in my company. And I'd be glad to meet with you at your earliest convenience. Again, it's Jill. My number is 651-429-1922. Now, that's a very gracious message, and I'm sure you have heard it a gazillion times. And so has every decision maker in the world, and they sit with their finger on the delete button. And as soon as they hear who you are and what company you're from, and that you specialize in some sort of expertise, they delete you and you're gone just that fast. So what we need to do is we need to craft a message, and this same format essentially can go in your voicemails or emails, but it's got to be really tight and condensed, and it can't be something that we just say when we pick up the phone. So we have to plan this ahead of time. So every message should really have three parts, and the first part of your message should really establish your credibility. The second part should pique your curiosity, and the third part should close with confidence. Let me give you some examples in terms of what do you do to establish credibility up front. Again, on a phone message, you've got two sentences, and you've got to establish your credibility in two sentences. So the first thing you'd say, and you, you really cut it short at the beginning, you would say, Bill, Jill Conrath calling. And so you cut it really short. You, your company name is irrelevant. They don't know who you are anyway. And then you say something that shows that you have done your homework. For example, you might say, in my work with other VPs of sales, I know that one of the biggest challenges they're facing is this. Another thing you could say is a referral. And by the way, I know you're the referral guy, and referrals are certainly the best way to get your foot in the door. But if you don't have them, you can't use them. But a, a referral is great. You could mention a trigger event, which is something that just happened in their company. For example, I understand that you just have a new VP of sales and that you're driving to open new markets. That kind of thing would, again, show that you've done your homework. Now, they don't know that you speak, or they don't know that you're an expert at this point. All they know is that you're somebody who has actually done something ahead of time in preparation for this call. So that's the first thing you do. You lead off with that. The second thing you do is you pique their curiosity. What you really want to do to pique their curiosity is give them some ideas or information or insights that they'll go, ooh, that's interesting. I want to learn more. Because the whole purpose behind this call is to get them to say, ooh, that's 
interesting. Tell me more. And so you pique their curiosity with those ideas, insights, and information relevant to your value proposition. And then finally, you close real confidently. And, and they have to hear that you're busy and professional. So rather than saying, I'd be glad to meet with you at your earliest convenience, which makes you sound like a total loser, what you need to say is, let's set up a time to meet. How about next Tuesday at 2 o'clock or something along those lines? But it's got to be very confident. So let me pull it all together and give you a clear difference between my first message and my second message. Bill, Jill Conrath calling. I recently read in the business journal that your company is launching an important new product that's critical to your success in the upcoming years. I have some ideas on how you can shorten time to revenue on that introduction. One of my recent clients was able to do that within 2.4 months. Let's set up a time to talk. Again, it's Jill Conrath, 651-429-1922. Do you see the difference between those two messages? Oh, yeah. Fundamentally different. They don't know what you do for the other one. They don't know that you speak, they don't know that you train, that you facilitate, or that you coach. All they know is that you have ideas on how to help them achieve a stated goal that they have. And when you do that, they pay attention. They can't not pay attention. And oftentimes you'll get a return call or message from them. Great, thank you. You know, Jill, I think you're scaring some of our members. First, our prospects listen to our voicemail messages with their finger on the delete button. Second, our company name is irrelevant to them. Third, many of us are leaving messages that make us sound like, well, as you so eloquently said, total losers. Wow, it's a tough world out there. Seriously, though, I like your formula for how to craft a voicemail message that we leave for our prospect. So, Randy, over the last couple months, you've told us a little bit about why this uh, summer's convention is going to be different. You talked to us about who's going to be there, some great names. Can't wait to see Les Brown. And, and you mentioned Larry Wingett going from NSA to ABC to CNN and back to NSA again, which is great to hear. Talk to us about why we want to be there, because I know you don't do anything without results in mind, without making sure people are going to get a good bang for their bucks. So talk to us about why we should be there. Frankly, you can't afford not to. That's with the convention team we've got. We put together a program that is so worth so many times the investment of the convention investment. If you can't get tens of thousands of dollars of value out of this thing, then you're just not paying attention. We've really put together a program that's actionable, applicable, relevant to professional speakers because we're going to do this at a very high level. We've created a program for the professionals in this space. And as you know, we call it Influence 11. It's certainly catering to the professional speaker, and that's our mandate. But anybody who's an influencer, they may be a coach, a consultant, a uh, whether they're in the different kinds of speakers we'll have for seminar people for uh, MCs for people who are doing keynotes authors anybody who's involved in influencing the masses that's what this program is going to be relevant for and it's going to be real stuff of a very conscious decision where we said let's create programming that helps people get more business helps them get more bookings helps them be more profitable, helps them run their business better, helps them have a better life-work balance, helps them make the business work better so they can have more free time but still be successful, still bring in more income. So it's a very actionable program in that sense. And, and we wanted where people say, well, okay, yeah, we'll have the networking, we'll have the fun, we'll have all those kind of things, but we're also going to have the real money-producing, business-building stuff. 
Well, Randy Gage, I know that you do nothing halfway, so I'm very excited about you being the chair for our convention this year, and I know it's going to be jam-packed with great ideas, and I applaud you for trying things a little bit differently. Why not? Let's make sure it's relevant for everybody. So thanks for uh, all all that you do for NSA. Thanks. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in Anaheim. The summer convention is fast approaching. The convention runs from July 30th through August 2nd. And it's being held at the Marriott Anaheim in Anaheim, California. To register for Influence 11, go to www.influence11.org. That's influence11.org. Or you can get there from NSA's website homepage. Next up is one of our members who has a great story of how he's taken one little idea, one little minute of an idea, and turned it into a substantial part of his business. With me today is Willie Jolly. Willie Jolly's a CSP, CPAE, author of four books. His two latest books, Attitude of Excellence and Turning Setbacks into Greenbacks. Willie, welcome to VOE. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be in the presence of Bill Cates. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, uh, we we may have to edit that out, but that's no problem. (laughs) Willie, I brought you in because I've I've watched what you've been doing with your radio show, with your motivational minute, all the kind of the ways you leverage like one thing, and then you leverage it into a lot of different things, and you're getting a ton of media presence. You've got a TV show now. Talk to us. Give us a story of how that started and how it's evolved so people can learn from that. Many people know me as a speaker who would begin all of my speeches, all my presentations, all my programs with a, a little poem called God's Minute. It says, I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but an eternity is in it. And I built a brand on that. I built a, a trademark or a, a commonality on that. And so I was giving that message over and over. And one day, as a former jingle singer, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if I could do what I used to do with jingles, sell a product in a minute, if I could sell somebody on their success in a minute with these little minute motivational messages. And so I pitched it to a local radio station here in Washington. And the lady said, well, we don't have a budget for that. I said, I'll do it free. I just want to do it. And I did it with this little AM radio station. It it caught on. It started getting emails. Oh, no, that was for emails, faxes. And we started getting letters from people saying, what was that message today? I really like that. Could I get a copy? And so we started getting more and more of them. And every day I'd write a few more. And I'd produce them, go in and produce them. And then I got an opportunity to to do a book. And I did a book with a small printer who was reaching out to speakers and saying, if you will write the book, we will print the book. And if you will sell it, we can split the profits. And I said, well, I don't have a book. And I wrote a book called It Only Takes a Minute to Change Your Life with these scripts that I'd created. And the book did very well. And then it got picked up. Thank goodness for the power of NSA. Many people have heard me speak. The fact that I always say NSA was the most profound and is the most profound part of my speaking success story because of the people I met in the network. And there was someone I met at NSA, uh, Rick Frischman who told Jeff Herman, who a literary agent, about this young guy who's pretty fired up, who had a new book, and Jeff Herman contacted me, a literary agent contacted me because of NSA, and he said, I hear you got a book, and I hear you're pretty exciting, and I'd like to 
learn more about you. And he came to D.C. We had breakfast, and he read the book. He said, I think I can get you a book deal. He, he went on to get a book deal. It was a very, very major book deal with St. Martin's Press. And that book came out, and it did very well in the marketplace. And then my second book, A Setback and Setup for a Comeback, came out. It did well in the marketplace. But this little one minute kept following me. So then the show went from a little a.m., to a FM, to the biggest FM in D.C., and as the, the day has been on the air uh, in that same position at that same station for almost 10 years now, and it's become the number one short-form radio program in D.C., 13.7 share, number one ranking. As a result of those kind of Arbitron ratings, we were able to get a call from the CBS affiliate in D.C. who said, I love those ratings, I love the message, we'd like to see if you could do those same kind of numbers over here on television." So uh, mid-summer last year, we started with Live Better Willie, with Willie Jolly Minute on the CBS affiliate WSA9 in D.C., and now it's starting to get picked up from other affiliates around the country, and our goal is to get it now in every uh, CBS affiliate in the country uh, sometime soon. And it just continues to grow. We even have a new, like the Easy Button and Staples. We have a Willie Jolly Minute button where we got 365 minutes that people can hit every day. They can hit it every day and, and then put it on their desk, and they get a, a minute a day, a motivational minute a day. We also have a phone option where people can get it via a phone line. So it continues to expand by taking a little idea and expanding the idea and coming up with new ways to repurpose the message. And then other stations are calling now saying, you know, we hear about these numbers you're getting. We'd like to find a way. And that way I can repurpose them there as well. Syndication, that's something everybody wants. So this one thing is just everyone around the whole country is listening or watching you. Talk to us about syndication. Well, there are two ways now of syndicating. There used to be where you would get with a syndicator and they would send out your message to multiple markets or multiple stations at one place. The new way is the platform called satellite radio, which gives you national syndication because you're on a national footprint. Well, I've had both. My motivational minutes have been syndicated with a network, with the Rejoice Network, with the American Urban Radio Network, and also Crest picked it up some years ago and they syndicated it by buying commercial time to play it. And that's been great. But now I'm also syndicated via satellite because I'm on XM Radio now on a long-form show. So I've got the short-form one-minute messages that have created somewhat of a cottage industry. But then we've got the new platform, which is a long-form two-hour show, which is a self-help radio show on XM. And uh, it's doing very well on XM as well. And I want to talk to you about that radio show but let me make sure I understood something. Crest, you're talking about the toothpaste. Crest, Crest toothpaste. now uses your motivational minutes. They buy commercial time on radio stations, and instead of talking about their toothpaste, they sponsor Willie Jolly? Yeah, they do what they call opening and closing billboard. So they'll say, hey, today's motivational minute with Willie Jolly is being brought to you by Crest. I'll do 40 seconds, 45 seconds, and then they'll say, remember, today's, and at the end, today's motivational minute was brought to you by friends at Crest. Get Crest, you know, whatever their brand is at, at that moment. Wow. So that's, that's another way to syndicate. Now, are they paying you? They pay me. They pay me money. So they <laughs> cash money. Not not, not toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> so they're paying you to make you famous. Praise the Lord. 
It's a great country we live yeah, in. Yeah, we live in a great <laughs> land. <laughs> well, let's let's go on to this uh, this long format now. You've leveraged your speaking skill, your platform skills, to be now on the radio. Uh, you're doing a two-hour show, right, with Correct. XM? Right. Uh, talk to us about that, and talk to us about how you're finding ways to leverage that. So it's not just a two-hour show you're doing. Something else comes out of that. Well, that has been a wonderful journey and a learning experience. It all grew out of that minute. A radio executive at Radio One, a good friend of ours named Zamira Jones, he thought that one minute was excellent. He said, I love those one minute. He said, look, I'd like you to do something a little longer. And initially I was hesitant because I said, uh, I'm speaking a lot. I, I don't want to be tied down to having to be in a radio studio every day. He said, I want you to do something maybe on, on a Monday morning in a number of my markets. You just call into these markets, Detroit, Cleveland, Miami, Philadelphia. They are markets that we're trying to build market share in. We like these one minutes. We'll play them throughout our gospel network and our other networks, but we want you to do a longer form on Monday mornings, Monday morning motivation. I said, okay. So I started doing that. And I, again, he said, I don't have a budget for it right now because this is an idea. But if you get some numbers, I think we can generate some revenues. Well, we did it for about three months. Every Monday morning, I just make these four calls uh, from my cell phone on the way to the gym or if I was on the way to speaking somewhere, I'd, I'd do it in the car or, or backstage even. One time I was in Detroit and I had to do it backstage. But we did these and for three months and then he called and said, the numbers are outstanding. We're really liking it. We're going to pay you. And as an outgrowth of the success we've had in these five minutes, we have an outlet on XM where you could do a show on Saturdays. And I said, well, uh, what happens if I have a speech? He said, you can pre-record it or we can take one that has already been played and played it again. I said, okay, that works for me. And so we did that. And then after f about a year of doing that, they decided, that's, that Radio 1 outlet decided that they were not going to do satellite anymore. They were going to focus on what we call terrestrial radio, which is the one we get free in our cards and wherever. And he said, uh, so this is over. But then XM called me and said, we like what you've been doing. We'd like you to stay. And we'd like to offer you an opportunity to do that. And I said, that's great. So since then, I've been with XM, and it's been a very, very wonderful experience. Now, how do we repurpose it? That's the next question, because I got these interviews with some of the, the great thought leaders and, and people who are entrepreneurs in America. Tell me some of the folks you've interviewed, especially lately. I know you've had some pretty big names on there. I just had James Brown from CBS Sports, Michelle Singletary, uh, Susan Taylor, the publisher of Essence Mag Magazine. I've had Nido Cobain, uh, president of High Point University. I had Michael V. Roberts, a self-made billionaire. He and his brother, I have both of them in separate hours. I've had Bill Cates. <laughs> yeah, I had Bill Cates, the referral coach. I've had uh, Zamira Jones, the radio exec. I've had a lot lot of entrepreneurs and business people who I don't talk as much about just about what they are doing now. I talk more how they got there. What's your story of getting there? What did you have to overcome? What struggles did you have to face? And how did you maybe get financing? Or how did you overcome the challenges of being re rejected or disappointed? And how did you go through the tough times? And it's been remarkable the response has gotten. And we are now repurposing that in a radio series on online, as well as finding ways to get it to people who uh, want to get it on my website and, and get access to all of these interviews and these lessons and life lessons from thought leaders. A question I imagine some of our members are thinking, how does Willie Jolly make money at this? 
Well, a couple ways. On the long form, XM pays me a some money. That's the, and not a lot, but they pay me some money. But then we split revenues, ad revenues. That's another way to do that. And then I can do endorsements of products at the beginning of my hour. So today's hour is brought to you by. So we sell advertising. Not I don't sell the the one minute messages. XM Shell sells that, but I have the option and the right to sell the endorsements. So today I'm, I was brought to you by Ford, or and Ford has been one of my sponsors on my radio show. Today I was brought to you by McDonald's. And so the bigger the footprint and the, you have more people listening, those advertisers want to reach those people. And how do you find those sponsors? You talk to them on the phone. <laughs> you, call you pick them. up the phone. You, you call, call them. them. You hustle and you call them and tell them, I've got something good. Here are my, my numbers or here, here's my outreach. You've got to sell like we sell speeches. So I think one of the things that I want to encourage speakers to do is continue to market and sell your brand. Continue to talk about what you do and what you've done and how you can help people and why it's important to share your message with a media footprint as well as your core clients because the media footprint has an impact on your brand awareness and helps you to create more uh, recognition in the marketplace. I have two quick questions, kind of follow up to what you're talking about. Uh, Back to the sponsorship just for a second. If someone, you know, a member of NSA is thinking about getting sponsorship, who do you talk to in a company to have that conversation? Typically, you talk to the marketing directors, the people who are in marketing. So you call, if you you have a radio show or you have something that's of value that you think would be great for a certain market, you call the marketing director because their job is to market the product. And you tell them why your product, your service, your idea, your concept could be of value to them and to a market that they're trying to reach. And when it comes to radio and television, you've already mentioned this, uh, it seems that it's a pretty black and white issue in terms of whether you're being successful or not based on the ratings, right? If people are listening, they love you. If people aren't listening, they don't love you. Well, yes. Now, there's sometimes you don't have any ratings, though. I didn't have any ratings initially. And so I had to sell people on the value of the concept, how it would help people, how it would empower and inspire people. And I'll give an example, the television show. Now, the new television feature, uh, McDonald's bought a year sponsorship. They bought a whole year. And so... I was selling them on this will help people and I can help you to build your morning breakfast program, reaching people to sell more breakfast. And that was one of their weaker areas. And they said, you're right. We didn't have a value rated Nielsen rating book as of that moment, but I just sold them on that and they did it for a month. They liked what kind of response they were getting from their own directors and their own operators. And they said, we're going to buy a year. So initially, you, you sold them on the vision. I sold them on the vision of where it could be and where it was going to go. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Jolly, thanks for being with VOE today. We really appreciate what you have to say. Always a privilege and a pleasure to be in your presence. I want to take a moment to talk to all of our members about NSA's CSP, or Certified Speaking Professional, designation. Okay, if you're already a CSP, you may be tempted to skip this segment. I urge you, however, to stay with me. First, I'm going to assume something. I'm assuming you're a member of NSA because you take the profession of experts who speak seriously. Speaking is no longer a hobby to you. It's a profession, or at least a significant part of your business. 
Financial advisors who are serious about their profession earn their CFP or CHFC or many other designations that demonstrate their commitment to their profession and their focus on certain aspects of financial planning. Accountants who are serious about their profession become CPAs. Most every industry has their certification process. May I suggest that your next step and your commitment to your profession is to earn your CSP. Former CSP Chair Valerie Cade expressed it this way. She said the CSP designation, as well as the CPAE, are the speaking profession's standards of a commitment to excellence in impact, professionalism, income, and sustainability. Not having a standard in any profession makes it harder to take it seriously as a profession. It would be in all of our best interest if all speakers look to the CSP as part of their career path. Why would you not do this? Thanks, Valerie. And I've heard people say, why should I earn my CSP? It doesn't get me any business. No one outside of NSA knows about CSP. Well, both of these could be false beliefs that are acting as limiting beliefs for you. I earned my CSP because my target market, financial services, holds their designations in high regard. I wanted my audiences to know that I hold my profession in high regard as well. Having my CSP has turned into many lively and fun conversations with members of my audiences who want to know what a CSP is, how I earned it, etc. If nothing else, it has helped me connect with many of my audience members. Here's what having my CSP has meant to me. First, having my CSP reminds me of when I went from an undergraduate student to a graduate student at the University of Maryland. I had access to professors and other learning tools I didn't have as an undergraduate. The professors and school in general took me more seriously. Well, having your CSP is like being in the graduate school for speaking. We have special sessions at the summer convention and winter workshops. We've had two CSP CPAE summits over the past two years. And in all sincerity, these summits have been two of the best NSA events I've attended in all my years of membership. I've received many ideas that I've implemented that have turned into substantial revenue. Second, my prospects and clients ask me about it. When we talk, they begin to see it as a way to distinguish me from the hundreds of experts who speak who contact them on a regular basis. Having my CSP sets me apart in the marketplace, even if they never heard of the CSP designation before. And I often run into prospective clients who have hired CSPs in the past and know what it stands for. Yes, having my CSP has helped me win new business. And as Valerie Kay told me, the CSP is part of a brand promise to the marketplace that professional speakers have standards. And third, I have received direct referrals from several CSPs over the years that have turned into speaking engagements and other revenue-producing projects. I have collaborated with several CSPs in boot camps and joint projects. Whoever told you that having your CSP would not make you money either doesn't have their CSP or isn't using their CSP in the right way. In the long run, the biggest value of NSA is the connections with our colleagues. The meetings are great. The educational tools like VOE and Speaker Magazine are great. But it is the meaningful business connections with your colleagues that will truly make your investment in NSA pay off for you. Having your CSP and using it to connect with other CSPs in the spirit of helping each other build a better business will serve you for as long as you remain in the speaking profession. Speaking of true professionals and successful CSPs, here's Terry Brock, CSP, CPAE. 
Hi, I'm Terry Brock reporting for Voices of Experience. I've got some really good things I want to share with you today that are really cool. Three key technologies that can help you in your business as a professional speaker, as a coach, as a facilitator, all the host of things that we do. First one is called the X Shot. That's X is an X ray, S Sierra, H Hotel, O Oscar, and T Tango. X Shot that gives you the ability to have an iPhone 4 case. You can put it around your case and it's got two little things. You Stamp on. Matter of fact, look through your viewer right now. I know you're driving around. Use your imagination here. Look through this and you can see right now. I'm holding it up to the microphone so that you can see it clearly. And it's right here. It's got a little attachment you can put on the end of this case so that you can use a standard tripod and be able to shoot videos with your iPhone 4. Very nice videos. And you can do it in portrait or landscape because they give two little devices that will connect on there and they work very well. I've tested it myself on my iPhone 4 and it works very nice. You get the ability to have some nice stability with the tripod that you'll use. That is very good. And it works pretty nicely. It's $29.95, less than $30 US, and gives you a lot of capability. And I'm going to give you an extra little bonus here, an extender that comes from the same company, from X-Shot. It is a small little device that collapses down to, oh, I'd say about uh, seven inches. Is that what you'd say? Look through the, again, look through your uh, monitor right now. You can see that. Too bad we don't have video, huh? We're looking through this right here, and you can see uh, what it is. As I extend it, there we go. See, I've extended it all the way out there. It extends out, oh, gee, about a foot or so, so that I've got the ability to have a more uh, distant view and one that is more encompassing when I want to use that. I can use this with my iPod or can use it with any standard camera or camcorder. Great when you want to get a picture of you and someone else. And this one I've used a lot moving around, getting shots at conventions, and you know, you want to get a picture of you and the other person. Real nice to have that. So I would encourage you to look into that, and that is the extender, also from X-Shot. So I'm giving you two for the price of one there. By the way, each one sells for $29.95 retail. $29.95 retail. Good stuff. Now, here's another thing that's going to help you a lot. This is when you are using your computer, whether you're using Windows or Mac, very handy. I just recently got a new MacBook Pro, and I had the chance to sit down and talk with Larry O'Connor. He is the president and the founder of OWC, that's Other World Computing, and they're based up in the Chicago area. He started his company when he was 14 years old, and now they're the number one provider of external peripherals and uh, enhancements and upgrades for Macintosh. And the principle applies to those of you also that are using Windows. Here's what we did. Larry told me, he looked at my computer, and we sat down and talked at it. I mean, I spent about 30 minutes with the guy. It was really, really helpful. And he said, Terry, if you get a new computer, you can remove the hard drive that comes with it, uh, get the base model that you have, and then you can put in a new one that would be an S SSD, that solid state drive. That's like, you know those little flash drives that you get? They're like 8 gig or 4 gig or something like that. Well, they have them now for much larger than that. I got one for 240 gigabytes. And the benefit is there's no moving parts. Nothing there to break on that, and it's much, much faster than the moving parts, old hard drives. Works very nicely. Cost a little bit more. It cost me about, uh, oh, close to $600 for that. But the speed really pays off. You figure over the course of uh, a few years that you'll have your computer, having that extra speed, being able to get to the data you need faster is really good. So they showed me how to do that. Also, I removed the optical drive, the CD, DVD drive, and put in another hard drive. So now, 
I'm running around with <laughs> almost one terabyte of hard disk space on my laptop computer. I like it. I know the geeks out there are really great going, ooh, that's cool, Terry. And those of you that aren't geeks yet are going, yeah, and why does that matter, Terry? Well, it means you're cooler and it means you get a lot more done too. That's the bottom line on it. So it's really good. And another tool that you can use is Free One Hand. It's a great little tool that works on your iPad. It's just a simple little device that snaps on the back of your iPad and it gives you the ability to hold your iPad much more comfortably in landscape or in portrait mode. And it gives you the ability to make it easier for more comfortable reading. I'm using it extensively for reading my magazines, books and even for typing because it goes into an easel mode as well. Costs $34.94, excuse me, $39.94, $39.94 and it's free one hand, free O-N-E hand, name the company. Great little tools and I hope that helps you out. Reporting for Voices of Experience, this is Terry Brock. Next up is CSP, CPAE and Cabot Award winner Nito Cobain. Nito is clearly one of NSA's most successful members. My interview with Nito is not about tips and techniques. Rather, I want you to pay attention to how this man thinks. So I'm here in the uh, beautiful studios of High Point University, the Nito Cobain School of Communication, with President Cobain of High Point. Nito, it's great to have you on VOE. Thank you very much, Bill. I'm honored to be with you. Well, first of all, uh, I just want to let everybody know at uh, NSA that Nito has become the new stepfather of my daughter because I'm assigning her to his care here at High Point, and she's excited, and I'm excited, and it's just a wonderful place. And uh, that brings up what I really want to talk to you about today, Nito, which is the, the power of vision in our own business, speaking business, and the different businesses that you've run and, and, and what you've done here at High Point. Talk to us about the power of it, and let's see if we can even bring it to some practical applications for our business. Well, first, Bill, you've raised a wonderful young lady, so we're very delighted to have her at High Point. And, and our listeners might uh, like to know that we probably have the children of at least 20 or 25 professional speakers here, and I consider that a, a very personal privilege and a blessing uh, to be entrusted with uh, your children. Let me tell you, my friend, the Bible tells it best. The Bible says, uh, if the people have no vision, they shall perish. I think in everything that we do in life, we must have a clarity of vision. At the end of the day, purpose comes from vision. Energy comes from purpose. Action comes from purpose. So vision really is having that picture, knowing where we want to go, and most importantly, understanding the impact that it will have in the world in which we survive, in which we live. And I think that, you know, you can have a big vision. At Hype University, I had a big vision. Uh, we've invested $468 million in the last 36 months on this campus. We tripled the size of the school. We doubled the size of its acreage. We raised 100 SAT points on average for entering freshmen. And we went to uh, the top of the list, uh, according to U.S. News World Report, in terms of colleges uh, in America to watch. So if you have the right vision, it can lead to the right strategy. It can lead to the right execution. But essentially, in speaking and consulting, there is a measurable difference between having a vision and having a dream. And the difference is that you can dream about having things, you can dream about enjoying things, you can dream about building a business, but until you understand it from the perspective of the receiver, you will never really eloquently and and accurately and clearly define what that is. And when you define what that is, it becomes 
truly a simple picture, a road map of where you want to go. Tell me more about this, seeing it from the, the side of the receiver. Who is the receiver? Our, our customer? Our yeah, who, whoever that might be. I mean, for speakers, there are two kinds of receivers. There's an audience, the people who sit in the audience listening to us. There's the market, the, pre, the people who hire us and pay the bills. Uh, but in life, the receiver is the person you're talking to, one person, five people, a thousand people. At the end of the day, you know, it, it's not about rendering value. It's about value interpretation. Uh, the, the people who really succeed in speaking and consulting and training are the ones who truly understand how to take the value that they have and interpret it, relate it, connect it to the people who uh, are likely to buy it, and do it in a way that is sustainable and in a way that really speaks to the fears, the needs, the aspirations, the desires of others. You're talking about the wisdom that we bring being actionable. It has to be actionable from the perspective of the receiver. You know, you and I might say this is a good thing, but if the audience or the market do not immediately recognize how this good thing will help them, then it doesn't really mean anything. Life is about enlightened self-interest. Enlightened self-interest means find out the other person's self-interest and really feed it and take care of it as long as you do it with integrity, as long as you do it with character. So bring that back to vision. How does... What you just talked about, go to vision. Do we, do we actually talk to our clients? Do we talk to our prospects? And, we, and through that conversation, we create our vision? Yes. I mean, I think, well, I mean, Bill, I did that in banking. I did it in real estate. I did it in consulting. I did it in speaking. I would give a speech, and I would then talk to the, um, to the leader of the group afterwards who might be giving me a compliment about the speech. I would talk about what we can together do in terms of truly educating that audience. You know, education comes from a Greek word, educo, which means to change from within. So I would talk to the CEO or to the VP of sales about how that audience could be changed from the within in such a way that they can feed into the company's goals and and uh, strategic plan in a way that can really bring better results. And so how do you do it in speaking? I think you have to measure it according to the circumstances in which you find yourself. For, a good vision for one group may not be a good vision for another. At High Point, I had a vision of taking the small school that very few people have heard of and build it into a national brand. And we came up with a very simple brand promise that said, at High Point University, every student receives an extraordinary education in an inspiring environment with caring people. And we said to everybody here, all you have to do is deliver on those three things. Extraordinary education, inspiring environment, and caring people. So my point is the vision has to be simple. You cannot be complicated. You have to be, you have to be able to explain it in 10 or 12 words. You know, in a school bill, to do what we have done here, and you've seen it firsthand, I had to raise money. You can't raise money if you have no vision. You can't sell a consulting contract if you have no vision. You cannot get a repeated um, you know, set of invitations to speak if you have no vision. If, if you have no vision, what you have is a speech or a program you want to deliver. We do not live in those times anymore. Today we live in the times where people want a process, a continuum. They want a plan for growth. They don't want a program that they can buy off the shelf. And so, you know, I raise a lot of money by just talking to people about the vision I had for this university and, and, and raised $120 million very quickly doing that. So the power of having a vision for your life personally, for your business professionally, 
for your clients in terms of results truly can direct us in in magnificent and and rewarding directions so let's let's connect the dots here a little bit you talked about a vision being different than dreams and probably under that are goals talk about that in terms of a speaking business at least initially um what's the difference between the dreams the vision the goals and how do we make sure it's client-centered rather than just us-centered Yes, well, I, I think that the um, the way you make sure that it's client-centered is you always ask this question, how must this person feel first? So this per- person will do what I want him to do. So ultimately, all communication, all connecting must be centered in this question. How must this person feel first? So they will do what I want them to do. If you just ask that question continually, you will always be client-centered. You will always be other person-centered, and you will always deliver benefits to them. Now, look, a goal and an objective are pieces of the strategy that get us the results. So they come after the vision. I think all things maybe can begin with a dream. I had a dream to come to America. I had a dream to um, do good things in life. I had a dream to go from being poor to being affluent. But at some point, I had to transition from dreaming to having a solid vision. And so my vision was, I will go to school, I will become educated, I will start a company, I will serve people, I will be a man of integrity, and I will ensure that people will come back to me again and again for services that could be valuable to them. And then I took that general vision and I divided it into specific visions based on what I wanted to do. When I worked in, in the world of consulting, I ensured that, um, that I would talk to the CEO about their own desires, their own dreams. I would find out what the strategic plan of the company is. And I would show them how what I'm doing can feed directly into that. And, you know, speakers do that all the time. They will ask a meeting planner, what are the goals for this speech? What is it you'd like for the audience to get out of it? And then you will somehow put a presentation that meets those needs. But, but you know, it isn't just about a vision. Now, you can have a dream. You can have a vision. You can have a strategy. You can even execute well on it. It's about sustainability. It's about making sure that tomorrow you're going to be as excited as you are today. It's about making sure that next month you're going to have as much energy as you have today. It's about ensuring that you have the resources to carry out your vision and your strategy over the long haul. Bill, I have been in this business since I was 25 years old, and I'm 61, so go figure. That's 36 years, and I get more offers to speak today than I've ever had before. For a speaker who may be oh, maybe stuck in just feeling uh, unsure of where they're headed or a little bored with what they're doing perhaps, or maybe their business isn't as vibrant as it used to be, it sounds like the first thing they need to do is get in touch with that vision and or recreate the vision, and then that pulls everything forward. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it could very well be. It could also be some values clarification, what it is that you value in life and why are you doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But at some point, at some point, the vision becomes the Mona Lisa, And the Mona Lisa must be framed with other things. And those other things have to do with fiscal literacy, time management, energy management, strategic thinking, critical thinking, relational capital, uh, educational capital, reputational capital. It has to deal with branding, going somehow from brand awareness, someone knowing about you, to brand insistence, someone insisting on doing business with you. So it isn't just having a vision. I wouldn't want 
our listeners to presume that if you just had a defined vision, life is going to all of a sudden become wonderful. I think it's about positive action. It's about acting on a plan systemically. It's also about learning. It's also about being in a continuum of learning, knowing that what we use yesterday may really not be relevant today. And I'll tell you what else, Bill. In banking, in Great Harvest Bread Company, in High Point University, in my consulting business, real estate business, and other businesses I've been in, I always understood this principle. You must have differentiation with relevance. And relevance can only be defined by your client, by the other person. And as long as you have differentiation with relevance, the world will flock to you somehow if you know how to tell them where you are and what you can do, and you will prosper. I'm sure that through your many years in talking with speakers at NSA that you've run into speakers that ha- they are passionate about something, uh, about a topic, about uh, a strategy or something that can help people in their lives. And some of the advice that I, that I hear uh, given at NSA is, well, look, if you have a passion, if you have a passion for your message, message follow that, and you'll be you'll be fine. I'm not sure that's always the best advice. No, though. I'm not. I'm not too sure that's the best course. I think having passion is a wonderful thing. You know, a passionate person can do things that other people can't do quite as quickly, perhaps even quite as effectively. But we must be pragmatic. We must be practical. We must define the world in which we live. We have to understand our strengths and our weaknesses and our limitations. We must be risk managers. We must understand that life is about building bridges to 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 um, to create relationships with other people, and so no, it isn't that it isn't that easy. You know, I get up every morning, Bill. You know, thirty six years later in this business, and I call or write for people. That's a that's a practical, definitive action step that I do defiantly every day. I say defiantly because the world has a way of just throwing stuff your way and you have no time to do this or do that. So you must defy all that. You must say this is a priority. Every day I call or write for people. Every day I ask this simple question. What am I going to do today that will get me new business or to expand my business? Every single day day. And so I follow, uh, you know, dozens of these little mini steps. And after a while, they become part and parcel of who you are. You don't have to sit in the corner and think them up. It just becomes part of your DNA. You behave in that way. And and the world responds to you. You know, look at persuasive speakers. Some speakers have content, as we all know, some speakers have great content. Some speakers have good content, but they're persuasive. Uh, Some speakers are persuasive and passionate, and some speakers leave you wanting a lot more. You want to sort of dig into the brain of that person. You want to follow them around and see what it is that they can do for you. You know, each of us has to do it in his or her own way. God created us as individuals, which is perfectly okay. I happen to be a pragmatic guy. I happen to be the kind of guy who worked in the corporate world and therefore said to corporate leaders, you can depend on me to help you measurably and, and specifically achieve certain things. And then I went out there to prove that we could do that. And I found that then money became incidental. Whether you're trying to get 10000 or a million became truly incidental because if you can give me what I want, I am willing to share some of the goodness back with you. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. We have to have a clear vision, yes, but we must have a solid strategy. 
which asks these three questions. Where am I today? Where do I want to go? And how do I specifically get there? What are the potholes in the way? And how do I go about them, around them, under them, or over them? Then the third step is practical systems. I must employ practical systems. You know, pie in the sky is silly. It's not sustainable. And then, of course, consistent execution, even when you don't feel like doing it. I believe the power of any success I've had in life has been because I always stay the course. I always stay focused. Focus is more important than intelligence. So once you find the destination you want to arrive at, once you define the vision, once you have the strategy, you stay the course. Yes, you may have economic disruption. Yes, you may have external critics. Yes, you may have financial challenges, but you've got to stay the course. If you believe in it, you stay the course. And the reason that works is because most people will not stay the course. 98% of America would rather be comfortable than be excellent. So if you stay the course by definition or perhaps by default, you're going to succeed. Thank you, Nito, for all you've done and continue to do for NSA, the speaking profession in general, and for taking care of my daughter at High Point University. With me again for her third and final segment for Voices of Experience is Nancy McKay, president of McKay & Associates and co-author with Alan Weiss of The Talent Advantage. Now, many speakers, many members of NSA have gotten involved or are interested in getting involved in different types of executive level forms. For instance, NSA has a relationship with Vistage, a very uh, successful organization. So let's talk about your CEO forms, and I think it has a lot of relevance to many members here. Nancy, you have eight CEO forms involving over 100 CEOs in Canada. Why did you decide to build these forms, and what do you accomplish with these folks? Well, I decided to build a community of CEO forums across Canada about 18 months ago when uh, quite a number of my clients came to me and said, it's uh, the dismal economy, we're going to start aligning, realigning and downsizing and right-sizing our organizations and we're not going to be spending money on consulting and coaching. And so I remember saying to my husband, who's my business partner, uh, we're going to be out of business if we don't rethink our strategy. And I thought to myself, what is the biggest need that clients will have given that it's looking like this is not going to get any better anytime soon. We determined that it's lonely at the top and CEOs would be faced with unprecedented business issues and challenges and bringing them together and creating these forms would be a huge impact, high value uh, opportunity for them and also a great opportunity for me to do more work in the area of CEO forms. Now at that time I had been facilitating uh, two or three of these CEO forms as part of my practice but 18 months ago we set that new strategic direction to really expand and make that the fundamental part of our business. Mm, So you saw the change in the wind, and you responded very well to it. Obviously, you had some coaching and and consulting uh, clients, so probably some of those became members, but how did you expand? How How do CEOs learn about your forums? And what do you think makes the forums attractive to these CEOs? So let's start with the first part. How do, how do you market this? How do they learn about it? The uh, marketing part is just mastering the referral process because CEOs are the hardest referrals to get. And that's how you and I met and started doing some great work together. And so I just uh, find opportunities to uh, ask for referrals from my CEO clients, uh, from other executives, from other people in the community that I know and uh, know of my work. 
and also my speaking. Uh, every time I speak, I make sure I talk about the CEO forms, and as a result, I get CEOs coming up to me and asking about my forms, and so that's another way of attracting CEOs into these forms. And how do you talk about the CEO forms within the context of a speech? For example, say last week I was facilitating one of my CEO groups, and there's 12 CEOs around the boardroom table, and one of the CEOs said, you know, gosh, I think I need to fire my CFO. And uh, lucky for him, he had 12 other CEOs around the table to help him uh, prevent himself from heading for a train wreck because uh, he really didn't have any type of succession plan or any backup in place. And so I'll tell stories and I'll put them in the context of this is what a CEO said in one of my CEO forums. Mm, that's perfect. What's attractive about these forums to CEOs? Is it really just a chance to hang out with other people like themselves and, and have a, like a study group, a mastermind group? Yeah, and also it's so lonely at the top. And uh, when CEOs first experience sitting around the table in a non-compete, confidential environment with other successful CEOs, the opportunity to bring an issue to the table and to have other CEOs that have been there and done that help them make better decisions, help them become better CEOs and better people, it's a pretty amazing experience for them and uh, for each other. Do they challenge each other? Do they, does trust build to the point where they can really challenge each other's thinking? That's the expectation. You know, CEOs, they, uh, it's hard for them to find people that will challenge them uh, because they're at the top. And so uh, when they show up in a peer group, uh, the expectation is that these people are going to be sitting around the table and challenge them so that they don't head for a train wreck or challenge them so that they do achieve their full potential and, and make the tough decisions and, and go after what their passion is and what they really are committed to and what they stand for. So is it complicated to run these forums? Talk a little bit about the logistics, the behind-the-scenes logistics of, of putting these on. The key logistical part of it is, you know, essentially each group has six meetings a year. Uh, we typically have a dinner the night before, and then we have a full-day meeting involving each group involves 12 to 14 CEOs. And then we have an annual retreat that's a two-day retreat. So the behind-the-scenes part is actually the simplest part. is just organizing the meetings, inviting people. Uh, that's the easy part. And actually, the facilitation, when you bring the CEOs together, if you're an experienced facilitator, it's an amazing facilitation experience, and you really do get to make a big contribution to their success because you're facilitating their ability to coach each other and to uh, share experiences with each other and to uh, really uh, help each other learn and grow and become better CEOs. The toughest part is attracting CEOs and retaining them. Uh, and I would say attracting is the toughest part uh, because it's all about referrals. It's all about building a brand around these forums or amazing experiences because uh, these people, their most precious resource is time. It's not the money. It's the, gosh, i got to give up my time. And in my view, these peer forums are time mastery packages for them because if they come and meet with other CEOs and make better decisions and, and uh, become better CEOs and better people, it's saving them a huge amount of time. Uh, but that's something that you need to be able to create that value, communicate that value uh, to attract them. Mm. Whether you're a consultant, a coach, a speaker, or some combination thereof, what are CEOs looking for from resources like us? What are some of the things we need to talk about, either the questions we need to ask or the points we need to make that will let them know we know a little bit about their world, a little bit about their struggles, so that they will at least let us in the door and, and further the conversation? You know, you know, Bill, I think it's really about asking questions 
and listening 80%. And I just really believe that most consultants, coaches, professional services, people think it's about, as did I uh, many years ago when I was building this, starting this practice, that it's about your expertise and wowing the client with who you are and how brilliant you are. And really, they don't care. You know, what they care about is this someone that can ask good questions, that can help me understand what my key issues and challenges are, and is this someone that I believe that can bring some value to the table. So what are some of the universal challenges that these CEOs seem to face so that our members, when approaching CEOs, can can ask the right kinds of questions? Most of the challenges are about people, people issues. A CEO is having some challenges with how do I deal with my board members? How do I deal with people on my team? How do I deal with my customers? How do I deal with the fact that these people are in conflict? How do I, so a lot, uh, should I hire this person? When, you know, should I fire this person? So a lot of the common issues and challenges are people issues. They're the toughest part. They're the most strategic. And, and that's really the essence of what people typically bring to the table when they come to these forums. So in approaching CEOs for, again, consulting, coaching, speaking, whatever value that you bring, if you begin with the people issues and asking questions, you're, you're probably going to hit some pain pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start. At the heart of all your revenue streams is your expertise, your body of knowledge. Fair statement? Yes. So I can't help but think that your own knowledge, uh, and we mentioned this a little bit before, but your own knowledge has deepened and widened as a result of these quality, really deep quality interactions with your clients. Talk a little bit about that. I think there's two elements of deepening my knowledge. One is uh, the real uh, experience I get by working with all of my clients every day and hearing their stories and hearing their challenges. And then the second piece is then noticing what are the common issues and challenges. Is it around strategy? Is it around strategy execution? Is it around leadership? Is it around teamwork? You know, what are these key areas? And then investing in myself and putting the time into finding world-class development programs so that, you know, I've gone to programs in London. I've gone to programs in, uh, all over the world to continue to build my expertise in these various common issues uh, board issues, uh, team issues, what have you. So it's always looking for how do I, as I see these common issues and challenges, continue to build my expertise so that every time I interact with a client, I can, with a shorter amount of time, have the biggest impact and add the most value. You know, I can't help but think, at least for myself, uh, what comes up is this this notion of having this living laboratory that for anybody who speaks from a platform the more they have this, this real-life living laboratory going on behind them, they will become a better and better speaker. That if you just speak and that's all you do is get on the platform and deliver a good time and, and some good information, and nothing wrong with that, that has, certainly has its place, you would be better at that if you had some sort of coaching, consulting, forms, any kind of living laboratory behind that, feeding you with good, relevant, day-to-day information. Yeah, and I think that, that you can show up with a lot more empathy and a lot more value and a lot more practical tips and techniques, which is what especially CEOs and executives, people at the top want. They want to know what, if I'm going to listen to you for five minutes, what's the one thing I can take away that's going to help me become better, help my organization become better? So you get better and better at finding those nuggets, those gems, There's those one-minute, this is what you need to do, that people stop and go, whoa. 
that's exactly what I need to do. And you, you, know? and you got that from interacting with other people. Absolutely. Other CEOs. And, and then, of course, the stories, right? I'm sure you, you've developed some incredible yeah. real-life stories from all this. Yeah, for example, one of the key leadership challenges, should I fire this person? And it's just the toughest thing any leader I've ever coached or worked with faces. Oh, my gosh. Do I f- and, you know, the nugget and the gem out of that is it doesn't take 18 months to make a decision whether or not you have the right person on the bus. 90 days is a good amount of time. And if you, if you can't decide in 90 days, then give yourself a 90 day, another 90 days. That is an incredibly valuable statement and piece of value that you can give. And so you always look for what is the one incredibly practical tip that people are going to stop and say, whoa, I need to go back and take action. So Nancy McKay, uh, president of McKay & Associates, author of uh, The Talent Advantage, co-author with Alan Weiss, I should say, of course, proud member of CAPS. Thank you for your giving nature and, and telling your story to us on VOE. Thanks for inviting me, Bill. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve. With me is Marjorie Brody, Brody Professional Development, CSP, CPAE, on the board of NSA. Marjorie, you're a CPAE. You're one of the best speakers in the world. How do the best get better? What are you doing to make sure that you stay at the top of your game? I love your question. What do the best do to get better? Because the best are always looking for ways to get better. Uh, and uh, to me, it is constantly evaluating what I'm doing. So I videotape myself as much as possible. And I ask for specific feedback. I know certain things, like for me, I don't smile as much. I think I'm smiling. I feel happy. But I'm very intense. And I, I want people to get what I'm talking about. So I just do periodic body checks. I think about the things that I am particular, specifically working on. I get the feedback and nothing beats video because it doesn't lie. So I'm constantly looking to say, how do I get better? And it's, it's not just a performance. It's really connecting with the audience. It's being authentic. It's having fun. And so we each have different styles and um, it's to play to my style and strengthen that and go with the audiences that that will work with. Jeff Davidson queried quite a few members of NSA about work-life balance. From the results of that informal study, Jeff put together several segments to help all of us with this balancing act that we faced just about every day. Coming back to the study, uh, one of the problems is being bombarded on all sides, too much small stuff filling up the calendar, interruptions impeding productivity. We've addressed this in past segments, but I know you have more to add in this area. Every day for the rest of our lives, there'll be more competing for our attention, not less. And one of the ironies of having lots of little stuff mount up is that perceptually, if you have four or five little items that would only take you three or four minutes to handle, once you get five of them, 10 of them, perceptually they begin to loom even larger. And the longer you let them go, the worse it gets. So we have to understand the importance of prioritizing and saying, I've got to let this one go or I've got to let this one go for now because there's so much else I can be getting to. But more than that, we've got to recognize that when we have six things competing for our attention, by and large, we created that environment by the choices we made, by the topics that we offer, by the way we set up our office, by the help that we've hired, by the systems that we put in place so that when we have six projects competing for our time and attention, we've got to recognize we put that in progress. 
Now the fastest and easiest way that you can tackle six projects is to go through each, identify the key tasks that you must tackle first, take that as far as you possibly can, if it, if it requires somebody else to sign off on it or give their input, then hand it off, go to number two, then three, all the way to the end of the pack. There is no faster way to handle, as an example, six items competing for your attention. Paradoxically, when people have a variety of things that they must do and a variety of responsibilities, it is psychologically satisfying in a minor way. And let me explain what I mean by that. You have all these things you need to be doing. It's almost like you're saying to the world, look at me, I've got this client calling and I've got this presentation I've got to take care of and I've got these slides I've got to take care of. But you know what? In the end, it's results that matter. And so we've got to put them in order. Let me give you a quick anecdote. I belong to a health club in Raleigh, North Carolina, as many speakers do. And I'm on the stair climber. A lot of people work on the stair climber, keeps you firm. And you know. Well, a lady gets on next to me. Could have been a man just as easily. Lady gets on next to me, and she puts on some headphones. Now, that's nothing new. We all see that. Because in my health club, there's a row of TVs facing the stair climbers. At the same time, I notice she leans over and she whips out a book. Not just any book, an 800-page hardback book, and she puts it on that ledge, you know, right on top of the, the, the readout. So now she's got the headphones, she's got the TV, she's got the stair climber going. She opens up the book to page 568. And then, I kid you not, she reaches in her bag and she takes out something else and it's some other, it's like a magazine article or something. She puts that on the side, like for later. I looked over at her, and I almost said to her, would you like some gum? But I refrained. Point being is, we create the situation where all this stuff is falling in on us at the same time, and then we forget that we did it. So, Take control by identifying the key item that needs to be tackled now and first, and then proceed to the next and the next, and you'll be just fine. You have a term you use called protecting your future calendar. What do you mean by that? Suppose you and I decide to embark on a project two months from now. You open up your calendar or you know, turn on your, your, your PC, you come to the screen or your mobile device, however you happen to keep your, your schedule. and I look at my schedule, and we both say, yeah, good, it's open, let's do it. So we mark down that we're going to get together on this three-hour project. Now, as a month goes by, some things start to fill in for you, some things start to fill in for me. Two weeks out, it's almost completely filled. The day before, you're looking at your calendar, I'm looking at my calendar, and we're each thinking without communicating with each other, my goodness, look what I'm up against. How am I ever going to honor that commitment I made with Bill two months ago? The phenomenon that is occurring is that when we look into the future, we presume that things are going to be different, especially in the near future, than they are today because we see these open spaces on the calendar. Yet, the likelihood will be two weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now, we're going to be as jam-packed as we are today. If we protect our future calendar by saying, 
can I afford to block out three hours, two months from now? With the same vigilance that we would protect our calendar for the next day, then we have a fighting chance of having a better command of our time a month, two months, a half a year, a year later, because we are regarding our time in the near future as just as important as the time in the present and the next day, and that is a tremendous gift to give to yourself. I met Dave Brown last year at our annual convention when meeting with the Million Dollar Speaker Group. Dave runs a very successful business and gave me several ideas to share on VOE. Here's one of them. I wish I had room for more. So with me is Dave Brown, and Dave, you told me about kind of a critical conversation you have with uh, the leader of the organization, be it a CEO, sales manager, or something in between uh, that you think is, is, is necessary before you can do your best job for them. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, vital, because I love being able to get up there and make sure that I'm on the same page with that decision maker, so to say, to where their message is going to get told through me and so or what they wanted to get from me being there. And I'll use, use a comment that I use a lot to where I'll say, and I think you'd agree with me on this, Bill, that the goal of tomorrow or the goal of next week when I'm up in front of your organization isn't about talking people into or pushing them into doing something that they don't want to do or that we don't want them to become. The goal is to create a clearing for them to be great through the message that you wanted me to bring. And we need to work together to get them there. And the more that you can tell me about your people, the more that you can share with me about your organization, the more I can do what you wanted me to be here for and do what you, why you hired me and why you brought me here. And it helps so much for whenever I show up, especially if you've had those kind of critical situations where they just kind of go, hmm, okay, great. And, and, and they open up to you. They do. They definitely open up to you. And they know that it's a little bit real because it is real. And it's just that, I don't know, it's that key phrase that I truly believe in that I think helps get a little bit of an edge, especially with whenever people tell you about other people. They can tell, they, they, they talk about me on the phone. And I've gotten this whenever I get a referral or whenever they talk to me about a different organization, they'll say, he was awesome to speak with beforehand. And I really could tell that he cared about customizing this and about making it work for that team. And that, that all goes into the, the entire package of working with you. The, exactly. the, the beforehand working with you, the at the program working with you, and then the after, and that's what makes you referable, right? Oh, one, yes, sir. That's exactly what it is. And it's fun. It really is having good conversation, having the same conversation over and over again with a different set of people, but it's making friends as a result of it and truly cultivating relationships that last. That's something that's in our creed and what our business is all about is creating lasting relationships. And it starts with the conversation, obviously, before you're ever in front of your people, their people. What a great idea. Thank you, Dave Brown. You've heard the expression, save the best for last. Well, I've done that this month again. Here's our esteemed president, Kristen Arnold. Oops, I just talked about all the importance of credentials and almost forgot to mention Kristen. She's an MBA, CPF, CMC, and CSP. 
I'm in Nordvik, the Netherlands, at the Global Speakers Summit, where over 200 professional speakers from around the world have gathered for inspiration and education. Come follow me as I ask some of my colleagues why they choose to go beyond their own borders and work internationally. Let's hear first from certified speaking professional and president of Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, Wolfgang Riebe. The thing that fascinates me the most about working internationally is the chance to get to know different cultures and people. Besides the friends we make in this association, if you learn about different cultures, you suddenly start realizing how similar we actually all are all over the world. And it teaches you to open up and accept everyone, no matter how different they are. And I find that as a speaker, it gives me more humility and um, chutzpah, is I think the Ooh, Jewish chutzpah. word. Yeah, chutzpah. To believe in what I'm saying and to understand life more. So it opens up a lot of insights for me, my, for me as a person. And I can just go basically live anywhere in the world or, or visit friends anywhere in the world because I meet so many fantastic people. Yes, indeed. There are speakers from all over the world. Our community of caring and sharing extends well beyond the United States. And let's hear from another world traveler, Rebecca Morgan, certified speaking professional and certified management consultant, as she shares her thoughts about the value of doing business abroad. For me, it's two things. It's personally, I love different. I love to experience something else because it makes me alive. I feel really present when I'm somewhere where they do something very different than I'm used to. And I just love that feeling and love learning about different cultures and different people. Professionally, it's actually made me a better presenter in the U.S. to present abroad. So I've learned I had to adapt to non-native English-speaking audiences. And that those adaptations, I now have integrated for my U.S. audiences and actually made me a much better U.S. presenter because I was forced to do it differently abroad. Who knew that working internationally would make you a better presenter? Now let's hear from the Southeast Asia Jet Setter Certified Speaking Professional and NSA Past President Scott Friedman. One of the most exciting things working internationally is forming partnerships and collaborations with people from different cultures. Right now I'm excited to be working on a book with a, a man from Malaysia and a lady from right here in the Netherlands. And just the ideas and the different ways of looking at things in the world, your perspective greatly changes, which allows your work to go much deeper. And it's so easy now to collaborate with others who are literally on the other side of the world. Let's hear from international speaker Dr. Jennifer Conweiler from NSA Georgia. Kristen, I think there's two things that I I've, I've get from doing this is it broadens me as a person, but number two, I'm able to really give back to my audiences what I'm learning about the different nuances that we have between us, between our, in our countries and in our, uh, between our cultures. What I get personally is that it's enriching for me to, uh, to step out of my comfort zone and meet with people that I don't normally interact with, and it broadens me on so many levels. Jennifer has it right. Choosing to step out of the old comfort zone is something we really need to do to take our businesses to the next level. Finally, let's hear from Alexander Blass, who does an absolute ton of work overseas. The other personal reason is that I kind of feel, especially as an American, it's really great to have the opportunity to be somewhat of a goodwill ambassador for your home country. And when you go overseas in a speaking capacity, 
as the expert on stage, you have a unique opportunity not just to educate and inspire your audiences, but also show them someone from our culture that, conversely, they may not meet every day as well. You know, I'm glad Alexander has brought this up, as we are all ambassadors for the United States as we travel abroad. Now, for my business model, I choose to work in my own backyard, the United States of America and Canada. Well, not that Canada is really considered to be international, unless you try to cross the border into Canada, but we're not going to go there right now. Even so, I would never, ever miss the Global Speakers Summit. And this way, I can experience all of those benefits of working internationally, all at the same time. Similarly, the National Speakers Association of the United States is a member of the Global Speakers Federation, an association of national speaking associations from around the world. And the Federation collectively serves the interests of their individual member associations while advancing the professional speaking community worldwide. So if you're a member of NSA, then you're a member of the Global Speakers Federation. NSA chooses to be involved with the Global Speakers Federation because we are the world's largest and oldest association dedicated to the art and the business of professional speaking. And the United States has one of the most mature marketplaces for professional speakers. And we are considered by many around the world to be the benchmark for this business. We choose to be involved not only because of our history, but because our involvement furthers our mission to be the leading source for community, education, and entrepreneurial business knowledge needed to be successful in the speaking business. And since the world is pretty flat these days, we're operating in a global economy, and we want to continue to be the leading source on the global stage. Our strategic plan initiatives call for us to create well-defined, segmented programs and services. And through our participation in the Global Speakers Network, an organization within the Global Speakers Federation, our members who work internationally are able to meet and connect with other speakers who are also working internationally. Another strategic initiative is to enhance the overall membership experience. And by having international professional speakers at our events, well, that helps our members see the bigger picture, the world beyond our own borders. And did you realize that the international contingent at our convention is typically over 10% of our total members in attendance? Now, if you were in New York City, it was closer to 15%. Their international presence creates a greater sense of a global community and let us not forget their registration fees can mean the difference between a break-even or even a profitable event. A big shout-out to all the international members listening. Most of the associations choose to have VOE and Speaker Magazine delivered to all of their members. So I know many of you are listening. I thank you for your support and hope to see you in Anaheim or at a future NSA convention. To show our support for the Global Speakers Federation agenda, the NSA board has authorized the president or a member from the presidential team to travel to our sister association conventions. This year, I've gone to Canada, England, Holland, South Africa, Malaysia, and Singapore. And President-elect Laura Stack represented NSA in Germany this year. Our role in that GSF is very well defined. We serve as an ambassador, the official representative from the NSA US, and most of the associations graciously pick up the convention registration. We serve as a model. People look up to NSA US as the epitome of what their association aspires to be in terms of sheer numbers as well as quality. And as such, 
We serve as a liaison where appropriate. We work with the Global Speakers Federation President and Executive Committee to facilitate communication and resource sharing between member associations and their members. We share and receive best association practices, thereby creating a larger, more global pie. I am truly honored to represent the National Speakers Association throughout the United States and around the world. As a leader, ambassador, and facilitator, we are making a difference in our global professional speaking community. Thank you, Kristen. A good wrap-up message as always. So that's it for June. I have one more VOE to bring to you that will cover the months of July and August. Then I turn the reins over to another sucker, I mean Brian Walter. You'll be in capable hands with Brian, believe me. So this has been Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on ideas will make you more successful. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.